Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Um, did you guys all see the new Frozen movie? Yeah. Hey, hey, okay. That dude in the back acting like you're too cool to see it. We don't have time for you. I'm sorry. Listen, you watched it. You loved it. You know you did. So here's, this is what happened. Before I saw the movie, I have daughters and, um, my 11-year-old was trying to act like she was too cool for Frozen now. You like the like first movie came out at just the right age for her, so she was like it was like her whole life. I mean, she we wore Elsa costumes in our house most days and uh, you know, performed all these songs. I have these two daughters and they would sing back and forth the different parts, you know, my, my life. Well, then this new movie came out and she's, you know, older now. She's trying to be she says things to me like, "I'm a teenager now, dad." And just like that. And um, so she was acting like, oh, she was too cool for it and stuff, you know? And so I was like, oh, it's okay. I'll go see it by myself. And then when it came time to go, she was like, no, I want to go. Well, this is what happened. And I wasn't prepared for this at all. There's a line in this Frozen movie, and I think it is so incredibly relevant to the passage in front of us this weekend and just this whole idea of one family. And when this line was spoken, there was an audible reaction in the movie theater. And I'm a dude, um, and I'm married to a woman, okay? And the reaction that I heard in this room from the women made me think, pay attention to that, okay? Because this is the reaction. It was like a, uh. Now, we're watching a, a Disney cartoon, and there was some visceral desire that came out as an utterance of the recognition of something beautiful. Like, I was looking on the screen, like maybe Jason Momoa just walked on or something, and you know what it was? It was Kristoff. He's a cartoon. And this is what happened, okay? Kristoff did a couple things in this movie that were so cool. One, he had a long song about his feelings, You know what I'm talking about. Gentlemen, pay attention to this. This is important, okay? That sort of set this thing up, okay? There's a little bit of like, you know, there's some romance in here that Christoph is a guy who's so grounded and in touch with who he is and what he feels, he can go into this long song about his feelings and how cool is that, right? And there's a moment at the end of the movie, they've been separated, he's been trying to propose the whole movie and he can't quite get there and he's not frustrated. And I don't want to spoil it for you. There's this moment, because you're going to go see it, right? If you didn't see it yet. It is that good. But Anna is needing all this stuff, and Kristoff comes in at the last minute riding a reindeer. Just come on, everybody, right? And he swoops her up real quick, and this is what he said. This is what he said. This is, this is so powerful. He doesn't say to her, get behind me, or whatever. He, 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 he said this to her, I'm here. What do you need? And that was the moment these women in the room were like, oh, God, mm, ah. And I'm like looking around the movie theater, like something is happening right now. Like I, I think the word for this is lust. This is weird. Okay, there's like this like, and then I'm, so as often as I can from now on, I'm using that line, baby, I'm here. What do you need? It's not working yet, I'll let you know if it does. But here's, here's, at the end of the movie, at the very end of the movie, 
they, they, they reconcile, he, they, they apologize. She says, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't there, blah, 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 whatever. And this is, this is what he, he looks here in the face. It's just this minor little line. Everybody kind of glances over it, but I think it's so important. He said to her, it's okay, my love is not fragile. My love is not fragile. Okay, I taught you guys a Hebrew word last night. What's the word? Chesed, thank you, chesed. You gotta spit it a little bit. That, that, that really is real. I'm not just doing that for fun. There really is a ch there. Chesed, okay? Chesed, the, the opposite. So this is, this is fidelity. It's faithful love. The opposite of this would be fragile love. It would be fickle, right? It would be the love that, that, that changes, the love that shifts. It's this unfailing love. And I think that we get really messed up sometimes. If we're going to understand Hosea, if we're going to understand how we as broken and corrupted people in our current condition can begin to relate to a God that is wondrous and beautiful and right and good and transcendent and far beyond our ability to comprehend and understand his vastness, his majesty, his glory, his holiness, well, then we have to understand how this works because we will experience love that is fickle and fragile, and it changes when the wind changes direction. But God's love doesn't work like that. It's faithful. It's there. This is the very reason why our repentance means anything. I mean, when, when we decide to turn around and make a redemptive decision, the only reason that has any power at all is because he doesn't leave. He's still there. He's still waiting. He just, he just hangs out. It's like, oh, you, you want to do the thing now? Well, I've been here all along. Let's do the thing, you know? And it wouldn't work. We are prone to wander, right? As, as the psalmist said. We, we, we don't know what's good for us. We, we end up running to the very things that are harmful for us. And you need to understand this about this. We hear in scripture this idea that like God is jealous for us. Hear me. He's not jealous of us. He's not jealous of these Canaanite fertility deities like Ashtoreth and, and Baal and, and Molech. He doesn't care about these. It's not that God is like, you know, they're getting the worship that is due me and that makes me jealous. And that's, that's a really human, petty understanding of this. He's not vindictive. He's jealous for you. It's always for you. He knows you are running to the very thing that will be to your detriment. You are running to the things that will harm you and hurt you. And he loves you with a love that will not quit. It will not fail. It cannot be extinguished. It's there all the time. He always is seeking your betterment. He always is seeking your flourishing, your thriving. And you're running to things that are going to hurt you. He's jealous for you because he wants something better for you. See, we, we, we get this twisted thing where we project our insecurities onto God and we end up making it like, well, God is this, you know, he wants the worship and he's this egomaniac and he just can't, he's just jealous. And I, that isn't how the jealousy of God works. You are hurting yourself while you look for happiness and satisfaction, for thriving, for pleasure outside of him because you can't find it. It doesn't exist outside of him. You were designed to come home. You're designed to be with him. You are created by God and for God, and you will be restless wandering until you find your home with him again. And I'm so thankful that 
his love is not fragile, that the jealousy of God can hold us to him even when we are prone to wander, even when we try to resist him and push him away, even then he's still there, that that our connection with God is held together not because of our faithfulness or our obedience, but because of his faithfulness. You didn't get that one. I gotta say that again. We are held to God not because we're so good at this. Not because we're like, oh, we get it. We're, look, how, look how holy we are. Look how like, we're following all the rules. Check all the boxes. We're good. I deserve this now. No, we're held to him because he is so good. He's a better savior than we can possibly be at, 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 at sinning. He can chase us further than, and faster than we can run from him. He's there, man. He's right there. You've got to get this. So right in the middle, so we talked about Hosea chapter 1 last night. And, and it's a tragic story. Hosea is going to put on display for us this tension that, that, that God experiences all the time between our created intention, this beauty that he wants to weave in and through us, and our corrupted condition, this brokenness, this fracture that we are just unleashing chaos into the universe because of our selfishness. And Hosea chapter 2 does a really great job of, of kind of showing just how unfaithful Israel has been. Just, just, the, just how fickle their love is. One of the things that they do is they start attributing all of the favor and blessing, all the things that they're enjoying because of this chesed, because of God's been so faithful to them. They start attributing it to the Canaanite deities. They kind of forget, you know, who took them to the dance. I mean, imagine this. Imagine I'm, I've loved selflessly this woman I've given everything for her. I've provided everything at, at, at my own cost. I've sacrificed and I've worked and I've really, I've created this, this space where she can flourish and everything is good and she keeps, you know, being really, being really happy that her boyfriend did all this great stuff for her. Some other dude. You see what I'm saying? They've like this misattribution of, of the source of their prosperity. They keep saying like, we're so thankful for these Canaanite fertility gods for the blessings that we encounter. And God's a little bit like, hey, yo, what? Come on now. Don't forget who took you to the dance. That's not them. They want to kill your babies. I mean, literally, that's how this worship worked of Ashtoreth. It's terrible. That's, that's unthinkably terrible. And they keep getting it wrong. They're just how, how far they've wandered. It's, it's just sad. And in the midst of this fractured situation, there's this message of hope. Now, how can there be hope? How can there be hope when human beings are so good at mucking it up? We are really good at screwing the story up. You know what I'm talking about? There can be hope because God is so good at redemption. There can be hope because he is so faithful. He is so beautiful. I just, you have to hear me on this. I'm not the kind of preacher who's gonna sit here and yell at you and tell you about how, how many things you're doing wrong and all the things, because you, you know, you're well acquainted with your own brokenness. You know exactly how good you are at messing up your own life, right? What I think leads to the life you're craving is not to tell you all the things you've done wrong or how bad you are. It's to tell you how good he is how good he is. Because I don't think you know. We're just saying, open up our eyes in wonder. Show me who you are. Right? That's where this comes from. 
That's where this transformation comes from. Listen to this. This is the message of hope right in the midst of just this long list of, of woes the prophet lays down. And this is Hosea. He's speaking here in first person, like on behalf of God, okay? So this is like, you know, anytime the prophet slips into that I will language, he's not, that's not Hosea will. That's, he's speaking on behalf of God. He's lending his voice to be Yahweh the Redeemer. And this is what Yahweh says to his wayward bride, Israel. This is in chapter 2, verse 19. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. So this word betroth, we don't talk like this anymore. The root of betroth is troth, uh, trust, covenant. He's using deliberate language here to talk about covenant. And what is, what is, what is the word again for covenant love? I forget. Chesed, thank you. Okay, you still with me? Chesed. We're talking about chesed. Every Hebrew knew that. When he talks about troth, they're like, oh, so we're talking about a covenant here. This is, this is chesed. I will, I, will, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. This is called a parallelism. A synthetic parallelism, if you want to know exactly. You can write that in your notes. Sound really cool later. Okay, the idea here is you, you've actually, this is actually technically an antithetical parallelism. You take these two ideas and you put them together in contrast to allow the tension to speak truth. Okay, so you have this idea of like justice alongside of compassion. You feel that? And somehow in the middle, we're supposed to find what he's talking about. And this word he uses for love, it isn't just love. It is chesed. It's covenant love. God, even though that Israel is disobedient, even though she's wandering, even though they are struggling to hold on to him, he is going to cling to them. You've got to get this, okay? Okay. Um, it was a moment when we were new parents, and uh, we went out with, with our baby in a stroller, and um, my, my beautiful bride was like, we need to get some exercise, let's go rollerblading. So that's because, you know, we're 90s kids, and rollerblading is the coolest. So um, we had rollerblades on, and we're going, we had this little stroller with our daughter, and we're kind of going down the thing, and Jamie's pushing the stroller on rollerblades, and at some point, I don't know what happened, but the stroller got away from her, and it started like careening down a hill. And um, my wife is hysterical when um, our children are threatened. I don't mean hysterical funny. I mean hysterical like, like a mother gets, right, when she loses a baby. You know, like, I mean, it's like, oh, my goodness. I mean, it is like the, with her screaming, she's going to call in Superman, and he's going to come save the day. And I had this thing. She's kind of rollerblading, and I'm kind of rollerblading. I'm going on this hill, and I see the stroller, like, you know, it's like kind of separating from her, and it starts to go. And I see Jamie's look of panic. And what's going to happen is she's going to panic, and she's going to fall. And I'm like, oh, no, I can see all this, because that's what happens when you're a dad. You get, like, supernatural reflexes all of a sudden. It's like, you know, bullet time. And I'm like, I got to get there. So I, like, tuck down on my rollerblades like into, you know, like this like Goku power stance, right? And like there's like energy building around me. And I think like it was probably like a comet of intensity. It was probably that, that powerful. And like a sonic boom went off, you know? And I like shoot down the hill and I managed to like get the stroller and like bring it under control and like everything slows down, right? Kind of a thing. And we get to the bottom and I heard the words that every man just wants to hear from your wife. What's wrong with you? 
but that's not what she said. She was like, oh my God, you saved her. And I was like, yeah, I did. <laughs> okay, yeah, I did. Like, humanity is this stroller, but it doesn't matter. You know, in that moment, that little baby's helpless. That baby can do nothing to rescue itself. I mean, nothing. I mean, it, my little daughter, Arabella, Arabella Jane, what's she gonna do? That baby can't even wipe its own butt. The baby can't be fed unless you put the food into the baby's mouth. I mean, that baby is helpless. But she had a good daddy and a good mommy, right? This is what I'm trying to get at here. In some ways, we're, we're, we're a little helpless without his faithfulness. You following me? It's his love. It's this whole thing. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. Even the thought of us responding the right way is rooted in the fact that his faithfulness, his love, his covenant fidelity, that's what's going to draw us in. We only get to respond faithfully because he's there, because he's present, because he's with us. He's clingy and his love is not fragile. Are you with me? All right. Probably the most famous story, well, I don't know. Maybe Maybe the second most famous story about chesed comes from the book of Ruth. You guys know the book of Ruth? Really cool story. Another one of these moments where there's incredible, systematic, widespread unfaithfulness throughout the, not yet a nation of Israel. They're more like a confederation of loose tribes all led by these people called judges. And they're, but they're remarkably unfaithful. And they keep being led into one crisis after another because of their own folly. And in the midst of this, conversation, we get this dramatic story of faithfulness and the way that God shows his covenant people, Israel, how this chesed is supposed to work is he tells a story about some people who are not in their tribe, some outsiders who, who don't know about the covenant love of God, who should, they shouldn't know any better. And, and this woman, Ruth, demonstrates for us what chesed is all about. So I'm going to read this this is, um, I'm going to go quickly because we don't have a lot of time this morning, but follow me, okay? I'm in Ruth chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, which we kind of get, right? That's the tension. Things are broken here. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And this man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and his two sons were this guy and that guy. And they were um, Ephrathites from Bethlehem of Judah. And they went to Moab and they lived there. So they're living outside of their land as exiles kind of out there in the diaspora. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. And they married these Moabite women named Orpah and Ruth. Fun fact, the, you know Oprah, famous person? Her mother meant to name her Orpah and misspelled it on the birth certificate. And that's how you got the name Oprah. Right? Fun fact. I heard that on her show because she's cool. Um, after they had lived about 10 years, both Malon and Killian also died. We have three funerals here in the span of a decade. Now, this is incredibly damaging to these women. Uh, women in the ancient world were so vulnerable. They didn't have rights like you have now, and they were in, in this incredibly vulnerable state. And this is, this is the kind of event that would just produce destitution and really just end the story of this family. This is a dramatically terrible crisis for them. Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. This is bad. She's got nothing. Matter of fact, whatever wealth that family had, because her sons and husband had died, 
Naomi doesn't get to keep the wealth. The wealth goes to their next male kinsman. Did you hear me on that? All of a sudden, the entire estate doesn't stay with the widow. It goes to some distant relative, because that's a dude, because apparently you need to be a dude to have property. This is terrible. This is an awful story. And in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this desperation, we will see this demonstration of covenant love, and it's so beautiful. When Naomi heard in Moab, the Lord had come to the aid of his people there uh, by providing food for them. This is back home. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. She's thinking, if we're going to be beggars, I can at least beg better in my homeland among my own people. Then she has these two Moabite women who are now not even really related to her anymore. These are her daughters-in-law, and there's, whatever familial connection they had through, through marriage is gone because their husbands are dead. With her two daughters-in-law, um, she, she prepared to go home from there. With her daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set it on the road that would take her back to the land of Judah. And then Naomi realizes, I can't take them with me. This isn't fair to them. They still got it. They're young. They're smart. They're capable. They'll make a way. They'll reboot their lives. They'll find a better way. So she says to them, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. And may the Lord show you kindness, say kindness. You see how hard this word is to interpret? That's chesed. May the Lord show you kindness. This doesn't work, does it? May the Lord show you covenant fidelity. May the Lord show you unfailing love. May the Lord be with you no matter what. It's hard to translate this stuff. So we get kindness. Thank you, NIV. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord show you the kind of faithfulness that you showed us. May he, maybe he good to you because you've been good to us. This is good. As you have shown fidelity, kindness to your dead husbands and to me, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. I want family for you. And my story is going to be frustration and hardship from here on out. So get, get, get going. Don't give me a hug and go. And Oprah said, I'm going to be the first black woman billionaire. And she went about her way and did her thing. Ruth said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging. Watch this. This is just so good. She kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and they said to her, we'll go back with, with you to your people. And, and Naomi said, no, return home, my daughters. This is ridiculous. Why do you want to come with me? Am I going to have two more sons who could be your husbands? She makes a little joke here. Um, like, like, like you're going to wait around if I had another baby. I'm an old lady, but I had another baby. They'd grow up and you'd marry them. That's, that's, that's silly. Okay. Return home, get out of here. Um, no, my daughters, it, 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 this is going to be more bitter for me than it was for you. And at this, they wept aloud, and then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and went to start a media empire. But Ruth, listen to this. Ruth clung to her. Like, I'm not letting you go. Wow. This is Hesed. This is it. Uh, we hate the idea of being clingy, right? Nobody wants to be clingy. That's the kind of thing you put on Instagram. It doesn't look good. You know, it breaks people up. 
I'm so thankful for some clingy friends. I'm so thankful for a clingy God. I'm so thankful that though I am prone to wander, he holds me to himself by the power of his will when my will falters. You hear me? This is so beautiful. And what she's about to do is she, she cuts a covenant here with her mother-in-law. She puts chesed into words. Look, Naomi said, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. And Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back. Listen to what she says. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. And this is, this is the language of an oath here at the end. She seals this with an oath. She's saying, this is a covenant and I'm declaring it before God till death do us part kind of a thing. She says, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. This is hesed. She just put it into words so beautiful. This is what I'm talking about. This Moabite woman has shown us, has demonstrated for us in dramatic fashion exactly the kind of covenant love that God has for you and for me. How can there be hope in a story like Hosea? How can there possibly be this, this, this guy, he loves her and she's continuously unfaithful. It's ruining her. And he's not just jealous for his own sake, he's jealous for her. He wants better for her. She's running away and they're abusing her and they're mistreating her. They're taking from her, it's terrible. How can God continue to love us though we wander, though we mess up, we run to the very things that harm us and hurt us? It's because of his unfailing love. It's because where we go, he will go. You hear me on this? How far will God go to redeem his wayward bride? How much will he pay to purchase us back from our own folly and destruction? What would God give to clean up the mess that, 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 that you and I create? to muck up the story. We just were so good at destruction and yet he is better still at restoration and redemption. Ruth here makes this beautiful choice to cling to her mother-in-law despite everything working against this relationship. I got two thoughts and then we're done this morning. One, this love is contagious. It's contagious. This kind of unfaith, uh, unfailing love, this is so powerful. What happens throughout the rest of the book of Ruth, and we can't read it this morning, we don't have time, but you should. It's a great read. It's this little like novella. It's a beautiful story. What happens is Ruth makes this declaration of chesed and her covenant love, her fidelity, her faithfulness, it sort of inspires everybody around her to be their best. You hear me on this? You ever have this before? Have you ever been loved so intensely, so unconditionally, so powerfully that you wanted nothing more than to do good by that love. I'm not talking about trying to earn it back in some kind of weird transactional reciprocity agreement. I'm talking about like it, you, the, the potential inside of you was recognized and even while you were at your worst and your most desperate of situations, this person saw in you something of immeasurable and irreducible value and they said, you have unsurpassable worth and I see who you can become and you're all of a sudden like, I'm a hero, I'm gonna roll and play down the hill and get my baby. 
right? This is, this is so powerful. And so Ruth shows Hesed to Naomi, and Naomi then goes into action. And for the rest of her story, Naomi is conspiring and planning and plotting, not for her own selfish advancement like humans often do, but for the advancement of the other. She begins to live into a story of selfless love, and she puts the needs of her daughter-in-law first. And she starts like setting it up. She plays matchmaker. Pretty soon, there's this guy a rich relative of, of Naomi, and his name is Boaz, right? Okay. You don't like that name? I feel like it's kind of powerful. Boaz, right? Like, I just, I, anyway. Boaz is first attracted to Ruth because he hears about her covenant faithfulness. He hears. It also helps that she, she, she snuck into his tent after dark, but whatever. Um, it happened. It's in the Bible. I didn't write it. Don't get mad at me. Okay. But Boaz hears about her covenant faithfulness and is like, dude, this woman, she's got the whole thing. And she's like poor and destitute. And so he makes all these redemptive choices. There's this whole legal drama in the middle where he has to kind of figure out with lawyers who the next in line is and do all the right things to become this thing. They call it a kinsman redeemer. In other words, like, remember how I said that property went to the next relative in line? When he steps up and steps in, he's claiming the estate as the kinsman redeemer, to give that family back its future. And he marries her. Okay, this story starts with three tragic funerals, and it ends with a completely different trajectory. And let me tell you how different this is. From this line of, of Boaz and this Moabite woman comes Israel's greatest king. His name is David. From the line of David comes the king of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ. Are you, this is hugely significant. Oh, you're talking here about the hinge of history in this one redemptive moment because a young woman said, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to live into a story of covenant love. And though all the forces of the world are working against us and working against this relationship and, and everything in gravity in the universe pulls me into unfaithfulness. I'm going to stand and show unfailing love in the story of my life and it's gonna change the course of human history forever. This is powerful. It's super contagious. It sets up a movement. Number two, and then we're done. This love is clingy. It's clingy. It's not going anywhere. It's sticky. It, it, it doesn't come off easily. This is the kind of thing where God will hold you to himself by the sheer power of his will, and you've never met a will to love like the will of your heavenly father. You can test its limits, and he will still be there. You can abuse it. You can trample it underneath your feet. And, and can I have a time out for a second? One of the things that people would say in the New Testament era is like, if this love is freely given because of Christ, well, then shouldn't we just go do whatever we want and just trample it all over the place and just because it'll always be there for us? And the, the writers of the New Testament, these early church leaders, they, they were like, what? Why would you do that? Think about this. Somebody gives you the most extravagant and beautiful gift, something you could never afford on your own, something that is worth more than all of your possessions, some, some, some beautiful, priceless thing, some, some I mean, it's just, it's the, the extravagance of this gift blows your mind away, and it just, you can't even comprehend it. Are you going to just, you know, 
give it to your dog as a, as a chew toy? No. When somebody sees you at your worst and loves you anyway, it, it, it causes you to rise up out of the muck. It causes you to evaluate where you are. You begin to ask questions about your worth. You begin to live not as an orphan, but as a, as a, a son or daughter. You begin to live into a story of redemption and selfless love. This, this is a good thing. This, uh, what you need to get about this love of God is in, in this picture where Ruth and Naomi, it's the same thing with David and Jonathan later on, Ruth has nothing to gain. Naomi has nothing to give. You hear me? Uh, Ruth, there's, there's, no, there's nothing in it for her in this. She makes a covenant for the sake of Naomi. Naomi has nothing to offer Ruth. Uh, you're pledging, you're, you're hitching your wagon to my truck. My truck is out of gas and there are no tires. We're not going anywhere. What are you doing? The same is true of Jonathan and David. The son of the crown prince, or the, the, he is the crown prince, he's the son of the king. He finds this nameless shepherd boy from backwater of Bethlehem who, who is from total obscurity, and he says, I want to cut a covenant with you. I'm going to give you my sword, my bow, my cloak. Like, I, my help is yours. And now you've got this shepherd boy walking around in the clothes of the crown prince. He... He has nothing to gain to this relationship, and David has nothing to give. It's the same with Jesus. He thinks so highly of you. You have really nothing to offer in this relationship. I mean, we come into this thing with God so broken. And he says that, you know, Paul says it like this. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Like when you're at your worst, you don't even deserve it a little. This is how beautiful his love is. It's so beautiful. It's precisely because we're so fickle that we need the steadfast, faithful, unending love of God. I'm so thankful that he's so clingy. I'm so thankful that, that, that he so desperately wants to, to be with us and to restore us and to bless us. This is in the fifth chapter of Romans. Listen to what, how Paul says this. You see, at just the right time, just the right time to step into our rescue, when we were still powerless, when we had nothing to give, and really he has nothing to gain. He just loves us with the selfless love that is himself. That is the de very definition of God. They're one and the same. When, when, when scripture says that God is love, that's what this means. Like this is his substance. This is his essence. This is what he is. It's hard for us to even get this. Christ died for the ungodly while we were powerless, while we were running away, while we're running around mucking up the story and damaging the very image of our creator in the faces of the people around us, living selfishly and taking into the story of of fractured corruption. Very rarely, Paul says, will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Like, I'm going to save you in this heroic act. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? This is so beautiful if you can get it. I'm telling you, if you can get this, the unshakable, unfailing covenant love of God, not in your head, but down into your heart, everything about your life will be different. You will find, you will find the resistance to sin that you're like, I'm struggling with this stuff right now. How do I do this? Because you're fighting against it as a should or should not, as a do or don't, as this rule on a list, you know, check, 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 check. Fight from it from a position of love. You are loved. You didn't deserve to be loved, but you are prized. You are cherished. He sees you at your worst, and he loves you from the point of his best. He has given to you what you did not deserve, and he will give it to you still. And even if you just keep on sinning, the grace of God still won't run out because he's that good. I'm telling you. You can test the limit of this. He'll pull you back. You can run as far as the horizon. He will chase after you. He's clingy, man. He's desperate. He loves you that much because you're his. And all of history is his demonstration of the lengths to which he will go to make sure you get that. Let's pray. Master, we love you. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of grace, of mercy, of love undeserved, of favor that we did not earn, of faithfulness that, that we abuse so often. Let us learn from, from the courage of this young woman from Moab who clung to someone else in relationship. We see that very often the way we demonstrate faithfulness one to another is a vehicle by which you demonstrate your faithfulness to us. And so Jesus, let us live into a story of covenant love. Inspire our hearts. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Live After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.